Hey guys, just a friendly warning that this episode contains dialogue about early pregnancy loss and miscarriage, which some people might find triggering. If that's you, feel free to skip this episode. Thanks, everyone. Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast about pop culture and hot goss through the lens of your nosy neighbor. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, and this is episode 45, and today we are going to talk about pregnancy after infertility. If you are a newbie to the show, Season three is all about infertility and different pathways to parenthood. And today we have Erin Bocayo on the show to talk about her experience going through several, several rounds of IUIs and IVF and what it's like to be on the other side of that journey. Um, but before we launch into that interview with Erin, a quick reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Me, Myself, and Millie on Apple Podcasts. If you really want to make my heart burst, give us a five-star review and write us a note in the comments section. It really helps with the success and longevity of the show. Thanks, guys. Aaron. I don't know you, but I love you. Welcome to the show. <laughs> I love you. Thank you for having me. It's so great. I've been wanting, since I started following you on Instagram, I was like, I got to get her on. I got to get her on the show. You're um, so cute. I, well, let's get started with a little bit about yourself and your journey to parenthood. All right. That's a long one. Um, so we started to try to conceive back in 2011, we, or rather 2010. We got married 2009. Um, and I just have been on the, I was on the birth control for forever, just like everybody else. And I came off of it and we just started trying. And, you know, after the first month I didn't have, get a period. So I was like, Oh wow. Okay. This worked. We're going to go get a pregnancy test. Super excited. And obviously it was negative. Um, and I come to find out I, after months of trying, don't get a period and don't ovulate on my own. So we were sent to a fertility treatment center. I was 26 at the time, which was super strange for me to go to because like, what young person gets sent to that. And that was now almost, almost 10 years ago. So that was very awkward. People definitely didn't talk about it then. And I didn't know a single human that, um, had gone through any of that. So we went of course, and we were told to do an IUI because I have and had a lot of follicles and we ended up with triplets. Um, after the first IUI, we were super lucky. We did Menopure shots. Um, I didn't do Clomid. And um, the doctor was very worried that I am too small, was too small to carry triplets. And that, you know, my 
life would be compromised, and so would the triplets. So he suggested for us to do a reduction, which basically meant we had to drive to Los Angeles because at the time there weren't any clinics um, where I lived that did that procedure. Um, so we did, and we didn't tell anybody. And we basically sat there. The specialist did her thing um, the way that they choose what embryo to um, terminate, I guess, is just whatever is easiest for them to get to. We were about uh, eight to nine weeks then. So it was very traumatic. We didn't talk about it after that day, to be honest. My husband still to this day can barely talk about it. He actually was unsure if I should ever even mention that with um, once I started opening up, but I just thought I should. A hundred percent. It was just part of the journey. So um, but we didn't talk about it. We just told everyone we were pregnant with twins, which we were. Um, and that was that. So that was kind of a heavy thing that we dealt with and never talked about for a really long time. Um, I think we were ashamed and we didn't, you know, particularly choose to do it, but we kind of, on the other hand, obviously it was our choice, but we were very much directed to do that. Um, and we're very thankful we did. My twins were born full term. I had them vaginally. Um, they were really small. So it just makes me think that probably if I would have had another one in there, it would have been horrible. <laughs> um, but but they were great. They were full term, healthy. And, you know, one had to be in the NICU for 11 days, not the end of the world. It was really hard, but um, she just needed to get a little more weight on her. And then we carried on with life. Um, you know, we went on about five, six years. We had some marriage issues. We struggled just like so many people do. Um, and we started fixing that first. We started seeing a therapist. Um, we oh, see- I'm so glad yeah. you brought that up. <laughs> I'm Love so glad because I am, I am such an advocate for therapy in general, as well as couples therapy too. Yes. It's, it was amazing. I mean, it was my favorite time of the week. Um, for a while it was hard to get him to jump on board and realize it's a two of us thing, <laughs> but eventually he figured it out and he even now goes by himself. Like he still does. I mean, ever since that whole period of time he's been going by himself as well I mean I have always had um and we both just love it I mean it's like the best thing that's ever (laughs) happened to us honestly um obviously aside from our kids but um yeah so we did that we got ourselves on a much better path we were stronger we were happier um and then the twins turned six they went off to kindergarten and I was like okay it's time to try and have another baby Um, we kind of assumed we would probably have to, you know, try treatments again, but we got pregnant so quickly with that IUI. Um, and I got all my levels tested. I went to, and, um, uh, what's, what are they called? An endocrinologist, sorry, pregnancy Mm -hmm. brain, (laughs) um, to get my, my thyroid tested because I have Hashimoto's disease, um, to get my vitamin D level and E level and all the different things tested. And for those who don't know, it's uh, Hashimoto's disease? Hashimoto. So it's a thyroid um, irregularity. And basically, it's my thyroid just not cooperating. <laughs> um, oh, it, yeah. 
So they were able to, I figured that we figured that out like years ago because I've had a lot of stomach issues before wanting to have another baby. Um, and basically I've been able to take care of it without having to be on any thyroid complex or thyroid medications, which is awesome because I know those can be really hard to pinpoint. Um, I had to be completely gluten-free. Um, I had to be on a bunch of different like over-the-counter herb medications that my endocrinologist suggested. And thankfully that had completely helped stabilize everything. You know, I'm glad you're mentioning this because the other person that I know that has Hashimoto's disease Mm -hmm. was able to troubleshoot it with natural remedies, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I was so thankful. I mean, I was leery at first, but then when it worked, I was like, oh, this is wonderful. So I just kind of have to check up on it like every, you know, when I'm after I give birth, I'll check it again, that kind of a thing. But I went to go do all of that and everything was fine. Like on paper, it looked like I could definitely have a baby. I even had a pituitary gland MRI that she suggested to do. Um, And everything was checked, you know, perfect to go. So we tried and didn't work again. Um, And can I ask mm -hmm. how old you were at this point? Yeah. So now I am 30, just to turn 33 when we started wanting to try again. Got it. So I um, got back on the horse and um, we decided to jump into IVF, more so me than my husband, but he said he would come with me to the appointment. Um, And we went. And of course, I was ready to just gung-ho and go. And I thought, hey, I'm just going to do this. It'll take one round. I'll get to choose whatever embryo I want, whatever sex I want. We'll put it in. We'll be pregnant by December. That's how IVF works. That's what I thought. (laughs) Um, and you know, he also thought that that was how it was going to be too. So we started doing it treatments and, you know, signed the papers and got on board and we only had one healthy embryo, normal PGS tested embryo after our first retrieval, which we transferred and failed. Um, and that was a big shock. It was a big shock because we just thought that, you know, that this is what people do when they want a baby. They just do IVF. Um, and it was not the case at all. And, um, we actually, we didn't do an IUI right away because we didn't want multiples again. And I tend to have a lot of follicles. Um, so they suggested for us to kind of skip over that because there could be some canceled cycles and this and that. So that they did prepare us for. So that's why we didn't jump into that again. Um, even though financially an IUI is much more accessible typically than IVF. (laughs) It's a walk in the park compared to IVF. Yeah. So, you know, that writing that first, um, or swiping that credit card for that first IVF was kind of a, um, you know, scary because we didn't, we, yeah, it was scary, but at the same time, we thought, all right, this is the one-time thing. Like, we're going to do this. We'll have so many embryos, and we'll just move on with our life pregnant, and maybe we'll end up transferring a fourth at some point. Um, so that was a shocker to us. I wanted to jump right into a whole nother cycle. We did. Um, I'm very persistent, and I'm very um, hard-headed. Um, and tend to... (laughs) Which actually comes, works in your favor for IVF. You're right. You know, you have to, 
Oh my gosh, you got to be a wildly assertive advocate for yourself. Absolutely. So in this scenario, I was more so hard-headed in the fact that I didn't want to take a break. I just wanted to keep going. And my husband was like, you know, he was still kind of unsure. And I always say at the time we were kind of living different lives. He was focused on growing a business. I was focused on growing our family. Not that either of us didn't want what the other was working for, but we were kind of um, just not exactly on the same not page because, you know, he agreed to do it and all of that, but we just, we weren't connected in that way. So it was hard to kind of be expressive with him about what I was feeling and how, um, it it was hard for him to understand, I guess, um, kind of how I was feeling and also probably hard for me to understand how he was feeling. So either way, we went through it again and kind of had the pretty much exact same outcome. Um, we did another retrieval, had one normal embryo come out of that. And then one, they call it a mosaic one, meaning it's not completely normal, missing a few chromosomes, but enough to be able to be transferred in this case. So we transferred both of them together. Um, and that failed after your second retrieval, Uh after the second retrieval, because that's all we had. So I know a lot of people get the suggestion to do multiple um, retrievals. We weren't even suggested to do that. Um, And partly it's probably me not have done enough. I hadn't done enough research, I think. And I think um, had I have done more research and really opened up and like learned a a little bit more before continuing my journey, I, I might've, you know, tried to do more retrievals before all the transfers. It just didn't happen that way. So we transferred those and then those failed. And then I jumped immediately into an IUI because I said, you know what, at this point, even if we have multiples, it is what it is. Right. And that failed. So I remember exactly where we were. We were in Hawaii and I got my period the first day we were there and I was just devastated because I knew what that meant. Um, and we were just exhausted. My husband, I remember we, we went on a walk and we left the twins at like the little daycare facility and I was just sobbing and sobbing. And I was like, I just want to, you know, start again, start the next. And he's just like, no, you know, he's just said, mm-hmm. pause, like time out. We need to break financially. We need to break emotionally. Yeah. You were on the fertility treadmill mm-hmm. and you were ready to ramp it up. I know that feeling. Yeah. It's just that feeling you get where if you, stop or take a break, you feel like you're wasting so much time. And, you know, now I was 34 and, um, you know, now my twins were turning seven and it was just, um, just everything, you know, life kept creeping up and I had friends that were getting pregnant and, uh, you know, for their second and third time. And there's just a lot. Um, but he finally put his foot down and truthfully, I'm really happy he did (laughs) because, that break was great. I took three months off in the summer. I started seeing an acupuncturist weekly. I kind of detoxed because I had about a year of hormones and shots and you name it in me. And did they ever really, did they ever really kind of, um, give you a diagnosis besides the thought, the Hashimoto's disease? No. So Hashimoto's wasn't even with my fertility center. That was like prior. Um, Mm -hmm. 
my only diagnosis was unexplained infertility and secondary infertility. Um, so which even my doctor to this day says, you know, secondary infertility is not even a medical term that they use, but like they use it to diagnose and to give people something, you know? So that's what I had to work with, which wasn't much because unfortunately unexplained infertility just could mean a million things that you may never even know. I, I don't really know to this day what was happening other than I wasn't ovulating on my own. It's absolutely maddening. And I think it makes women, I think it triggers something in us. Like, you know, like I'm really big into murder and like (laughs) being a true crime murder sleuth, Uh you know, you become like an infertility internet sleuth. Totally. Yes. hundred percent. And at the time still, I wasn't sharing. I wasn't talking to people about it. Um, I didn't even really know there was a community that existed out there. So I was just like stuck almost by myself. And with those doctors that I had, those were my only like outlets or my only source of information. Um, Which again, that was all silly on my part because I should have just dug a little bit deeper, but I just didn't even realize how common this was um, to get help or support. So we... I trained to be a yoga instructor with that. That was fun. (laughs) Um, So during the pause, during the pause, back to the pause, back to the pause. And then after the pause, we actually ended up switching fertility centers because I had a good friend who had done IVF um, years ago and didn't necessarily do it with this clinic, but she just knew of this clinic that was really good. Um, So we actually ended up switching and I loved my doctor at the time loved the nurses. It was just night and day. I was very, very happy. We're at this new place. I had great high hopes. We did another retrieval. And this time we decided not to test our embryos because we just thought, you know what, it hasn't worked before anyway. So let's save some money. Let's do something different, whatever. Even though we were suggested to test them. So we transferred again in December, 2018. It actually worked. Um, we were so excited. And how many how many embryos did you get from that retrieval? So we got three embryos from that retrieval, but because we did not test them, we were able to keep them all. Um, so it. that's kind of why we're like, okay, well, this is you know, this is good. I had no idea that the possibility of a miscarriage was a thing because I just thought we're doing IVF, like this is then it works, right? So it sticks and then you're good. Here we go. (laughs) I mean, I just like, oh. I know. Yeah. Can you describe that a little bit as much as you want to? Yeah, no, I am an open book. I, um, when we went in for our last appointment in January at the fertility center, it's called the graduation appointment. Um, We had already told the twins we were pregnant. So they were all full aware. We went in and I remember we were even talking about how we were going to tell people and a gender reveal, you know, all this stuff. And you were like eight weeks or eight, nine eight weeks. weeks. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I was eight weeks and I went in and then, you know, he started doing his thing and the doctor and the first thing he said was, I'm so sorry, but the baby has stopped growing. I stopped listening after that. I started falling. I remember holding on to Nick 
Nick's shirt because I thought I was going to fall off the exam table. I've never like seen him cry this way before. He started bawling and we were just floored. I just had no, I had no idea that this was a possibility. Like I really didn't. We had heard the heartbeat already. Um, I just didn't think that that would ever happen. And maybe like just being naive, never thought it would happen to me, you know, cause I had carried a pregnancy before twins, you know? Um, so that was really, really devastating. We then had to tell the girls, which was really hard and they were obviously very upset and cried. And it was hard to explain to a seven year old how, um, you know, babies die in mommy's tummy sometimes, Um, absolutely. I feel like, I feel like we need a good children's book out there, you know, like if anybody's listening to this episode (laughs) that, um, has the itch to write a, you know, a children's book about miscarriage, Mm -hmm. I think we need that. I agree. I completely agree. Um, so we did the best we can explaining and they actually even talked to their, ended up talking to their friends about it, which God knows what they said, but they did say, mommy, we told our friends the baby died in your tummy because they had other friends whose parents were pregnant. Um, so it was an interesting time to say the least. I ended up having to take a pill called misoprostol, which essentially induces a miscarriage because basically my body eventually, I guess, would have gotten rid of everything, but we don't know how long that would have taken. And this kind of induces the miscarriage um, to happen. Uh, it might be TMI, but basically a bunch of blood and tissue comes out of me about 24 hours after you take it. Was it 24 hours? It's a few hours after. Um, and I was told to catch everything that came out. So that was very traumatic. Um, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Oh my God. I just need to like, I know stop that. I mean, Aaron, that is intense. It was That's so intense. How do you, how do you do that? Do you do it in the bathroom mm-hmm. in the, in, in the shower? No. So you can kind of start to feel everything like as it comes out, it's like, it's like, you know, when you feel like a gush, when you have a period, right. But like probably 20 times more of a gush and with clots. So you can kind of start to feel when it's about to come out and you run to the bathroom um, and then you they give you like one of those um, toilet-like covers that also have some type of a like uh, a bowl. Oh, it's, yeah, it's called? like a, a bedpan, yeah, but it, exactly. also a toilet cover. Exactly. So I, that was there and then I would just try and have it all come out there and then I had to take that back to the doctor to see if they could test it to see why I miscarried. So the whole point of this was so that they could test that tissue to see if they could see if the embryo was maybe abnormal because we hadn't tested the embryo. This is going to be a, a weird question. No, no weird questions. Um, what did you do with the, um, what the tissue between the time that it came out and the mm. time you took it to the hospital? Like, did you have to put it in the refrigerator? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, in a bag. So that was fun. And turns out when I took it in, there wasn't enough or the right tissue. I don't know the exact medical term to be tested. So I had to take the pill again. Um, 
and pretty much do it all over again. This time the pill worked much faster than we thought. And basically I bled all night long. Um, I went through like four pairs of pajama pants, like the sheets, towels, you name it, because I was trying to sleep, but then I would gush out blood. And it was like a lot more than the first time. And I was also trying to catch it again in the middle of the night, which I mean, that was so hard, but I lost a lot of blood. I really couldn't walk the next day. Um, and it, after all of that, the tissue couldn't be tested. So, which they said was a possibility. Um, so we never really know why I miscarried. I kind of tell myself it's because the embryo was abnormal, but we don't really know. Um, unfortunately my levels were still not dropping technically. They want your, what's called your HCG levels to drop so that you can kind of start to be back to normal, right? So that you don't seem pregnant so that you can start treatments again, do your next thing, whatever you're going to do. My levels took over nine weeks to drop. And so then they were wondering why they did a hysteroscopy to see what was going on. And it turns out I still had tissue left since January. This was now March. Um, and so we had to do a DNC after all that, which I was like, we should have just done that in January so that I could just move on. Um, so it was a long miscarriage. I don't know if anybody else has um, been through that, but it, it kind of just, you know, it was hard because I couldn't move on basically. Yeah. It seems like it was really dragged out for a mm-hmm. long period of time. It was, it was. So once we did that, you know, finally was able to close the doors to that. We re and tested the two embryos I had left because I just said, I don't want to go through that again. If I can help it, obviously you never know. Um, and then one of those two embryos came back normal, but because we had thawed it again and then re refrozen it and then thought it again to transfer, it ended up being really poor quality. We transferred it, but it didn't, um, stick. I've, I've heard of that happening. Yeah. Yeah. That the embryos just don't like to be messed with. No, it was too much. It was too much, but Honestly, I don't think I could have done a transfer with those embryos not knowing. I just don't think mentally I would have been able to do it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you made the right decision. Yeah, I think so. Um, And then we moved into our fourth retrieval, which we actually ended up getting, after all was said and done, PGS testing, three really healthy, normal embryos, which is the most we'd ever gotten. Um, and we transferred one in August and then that failed. So I was just so done because I was so confused. You know, this was now my fifth transfer. Um, supposedly they were good embryos. I was, you know, far from the miscarriage, far from the DNC. Um, we did an MRI of my pelvis and it turns out I had, um, an inflamed uterus still from the miscarriage. So I was on antibiotics for two weeks for that. And then a doctor had found some type of like, it's called adenomyosis, which is a slight form of endometriosis, very slight. Um, he put me on letrozole for three months. So from about September 2019 to December, I was on this letrozole thing before I could transfer another embryo. What was that like? Um, you know, I was, it wasn't too bad. It was just a lot of like night sweats. Um, but I really didn't experience anything too crazy. Like some headaches here and there. It's just more of an annoyance, you know, to 
be essentially going through menopause at age 30. What was I? Five. (laughs) Um, So it was just like another thing to do kind of, you know. And and let me ask you Mm -hmm. when your doctor, when you would start a new retrieval, did the protocol ever change to try to get a better embryo outcome? So the protocol didn't really change much other than they had upped my dosage of medicine. And I personally was seeing an acupuncturist and I read that book. It starts with the egg. I made sure I took all of the um, supplements that they kind of suggested. Um, Whereas before I may have taken one or two, but definitely not like as a routine type thing. So, I mean, I still drank wine. I still lived my life, to be honest, because I just had had enough. But um, I do think a lot of that helped. And I do think acupuncture helped for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So we're now after your fourth retrieval. Fourth we retrieval. Fourth retrieval. Okay. Fifth transfer finished and failed. And then we're in December now of 2019. And I, or not December, early January, 2020. And I did another transfer and that one failed again. And I was about to like completely give up. That was probably the darkest time for me other than the miscarriage because I just had no idea what was happening because supposedly I was on letrozole and I was on all this stuff to quote unquote fix what was wrong. And that didn't seem to help. Um, So I was just kind of about to give up. And my husband's like, look, we have one more. We should just try it. Um, And then I kind of started to finally be more of my own advocate. I wasn't too excited with the doctor I had. He was great, but the relationship we had was just not non-existent. And I wanted to talk to somebody else. Um, My doctor was really, really conservative and I'm not. Um, So I wanted to see if there was something else out there. And I knew of this doctor within the same clinic um, that did things just had a different mentality on things. I wouldn't even say he does things that differently, but he has a different way of seeing things. And I think we needed that. So we met with him, loved him, switched over to him. I was a little like worried because, you know, it's kind of like you're switching a doctor within the same clinic. Like, what are people going to say? But at that point, I'm like, you know what? I just want to be done. (laughs) I'm like, so done. Yeah. You just you just go for broke at a certain point and exactly. you're like, screw it. I'm, this is, this is what I want. This is how mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm kicking the ball down the field a mm-hmm. little bit more. Absolutely. And you know what I found out is like, nobody cares, honestly, like uh, as much as you think, like they're all revolving around you. They really aren't <laughs> they have so many people. I always go in thinking I'm their only patient, but I'm really not. Sadly, I wish I was. Um, I honestly think the guy behind the deli counter is like just like concerned about my order absolutely. all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's okay to be living life that way. Like, why not? You know, <laughs> yes. make yourself feel special whenever you can, is what I say. But, you know, you think that people are going to care and say stuff and talk about it. I'm like, and they don't. You know, the nurse is like, this happens sometimes. And same with the doctor, and nobody cared. I still saw my old doctor and he says hi and, you know, it's a little weird, but probably more so it's weird in my head than it really is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my new, the doctor we switched to is amazing. I still, to this day, ask him questions probably daily on Instagram and he writes me back. I always give him shout outs cause he's awesome. Um, but he basically was able to talk to us and say, look, you have a weird thing going where you've done so many transfers and have had so many failed tests. And sometimes this happens, but honestly, he's like, there's nothing on paper wrong with you. He's like, personally, I didn't even, I don't even think you should have gone on Letrozole those past three months, but you know, it is what it is. Um, he's like, you've done every single test possible and now you're here. So I just say, keep trying. He's like, it's basically like a coin toss. So he's like, it's either gonna land and it's going to work or it's not. And you've clearly had it not land on the right side. (laughs) Um, And that kind of resonated with me because it finally made me feel like, okay, there's nothing actually wrong with me rather than going into every time thinking, okay, did I fix it? Did I fix what was wrong? Is it going to work? Yeah. Or like it has to be a little bit freeing to know that you can't control this in a way, you know, exactly. The, the responsibility has been relinquished Uh a little bit. And it was, he made it seem lighter, you know, like as much as even if this one had failed, like I would have probably been devastated and who knows what I would have done. I went into it feeling a little bit lighter, like it's not a hundred percent the end of the world and we could probably do it again. Um, so that helped a lot. I also went in and said, I am demanding my lining to be much thicker because every single time, um, it had only been about a seven and a half, my lining thickness and my um, uterus. So I said, I wanted it to be in a 9.5 somehow. Um, and so they upped my estrogen dosage and I did estrogen injections every three days of 0.5 milliliters. And it got up to like a 9.8 after a couple of weeks. So that was great. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, I rechecked my vitamin D levels. They were low. So I made sure I was taking stuff for that. But other than so that, yeah. Let me just uh, recalibrate for a second. You changed doctors, hmm? but you didn't change clinics. Nope. So you didn't have to like transport your embryo Mm -mm. to a different place, which is like scary. Yeah. No, we didn't. And, and purposely I was like, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. I think I, I did say if this one fails, then I might start looking at another clinic, but there was just some connection with this doctor that I just felt like it was so right. Um, and I just, com- I try to advocate for that. I try to bring awareness to that because honestly, like I didn't have that feeling the entire time I was doing this up until that last transfer. Um, it just, something clicked. Um, and so I really, whoever's listening, like yep. that's, it's just such a huge deal. And he honestly wasn't going to do anything drastically different than I probably would have told my other doctor to do. Um, but it was just, a different feeling. The whole thing was just different. That's great. Yeah. I think that makes a difference. You know, I think there's something about a peace of mind about the doctor mm-hmm. and the trust that you're putting into mm-hmm. with somebody that really can change. I don't know. 
I'm going to get woo-woo here, but I think <laughs> it changes things a little bit cosmetically. I think so too. I think it's a, it's a mental thing. And, I, you know, who knows why this transferred worked? Like I don't have, I wish I had the secret formula. I think everybody wishes there was a secret formula or, you know, eat the blue M&M. I would eat the blue M&M too, but like there's not. <laughs> and for me, I think all of these things combined just finally made it work. Mm-hmm. And so you're pregnant now. Yay. <laughs> Yay. And you're due, you're due in November. Yes, ma'am. Um, describe the feelings that come up after infertility treatments and then after you find out you are pregnant. Yeah. So we found out we were pregnant and we were just super, super excited. And probably about eight hours later, I started to have anxiety attacks. My husband also left and was had to travel for a week. So that didn't help. Um, but it's a lot. I mean, you start thinking about everything that hasn't gone right for the past almost three years. And that takes over because there's now only been one moment in time when something has gone right. It's incredible how all the negative really, really ends up taking over any of the positives. It's sad. And I think it, I think that's the case for a lot of situations, not just infertility every week or, you know, I, I insisted on having an ultrasound once, once I was able to have one at six weeks and we saw a heartbeat, I insisted on one weekly because I was too anxious. So you <laughs> on heartbeat at six weeks at six weeks. Yes. That's amazing. And so you did one every week after that, after that at my fertility center, um, because and you did a- all, was it transvaginal or mm-hmm. on a Okay. Yeah. Transvaginal up until my OB, which was, that was when we went, I think we were like nine and a half weeks when I got to go to her. Amazing. And you advocated for yourself with that, right? Yes. Yes. I mean, obviously you have to pay for them because that's just, it's not like they're like, yeah, sure. I'll give you one for free. But at that point I was like, it's just, you can't <laughs> hand those things out. Like you can't. I wish, you know, I tried. But at that point, I was just, my RE was an amazing. And he said, of course, he's like, just come in whenever, like, I'll fit you in whenever you need. And that was that because I was just so, so anxious. Um, Luckily, at that point, up until our graduation day, Nick was able to come because Corona was kind of creeping in. Um, But they hadn't completely closed the clinics yet. And they hadn't closed, um, they hadn't not allowed visitors, quote unquote visitors to come with you. So that was good. And I graduated. Everything looked great. Yeah. And that and eight weeks was probably in was it March? It was no. March. Yeah, it was March. March. Okay. Yeah. So it was Got like mid ish March, end of March. No, it was, no, I graduated like beginning of April, I'm sorry. Because I ended up lingering with them a little bit longer because I said I wasn't ready to go. <laughs> and they literally said I was their longest patient. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> which is fine. I don't care. <laughs> I was a little embarrassed, but um, I actually don't. Aaron, Aaron, you got to leave the clinic now. <laughs> Seriously. They're like, you're fine. It. You can go downstairs to the OB. And I'm like, ah. So I ended up actually staying with them until like nine and a half weeks. My OB was like literally five days later, but I just, 
the relationship I have with him and the nurses after so long is just so, so close. And they're honestly the only people that could reassure me at the time. So I just needed that, I think, more than anything. Yeah. Um, And once you get to the OB, you can't really ask for extra ultrasounds. It just doesn't work that way. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Well, what types of coping strategies do you suggest for people who are pregnant after infertility and loss? So for me, the biggest thing has been um, talking to a lot of people. You know, thank God I have opened up here. I opened up here last October 2019. And being in this community um, has just been tremendous because as much as people say, oh, you're helping me, honestly, like when I started this page or when I started writing about everything, it was for me. It wasn't for anybody else. I mean, I'm going to cry. I'm going (laughs) to cry. Same thing. Same thing. You know, it's a mutually beneficial situation when you share your story. Absolutely. So I, and you know, and I said, if I can help one person, then my job's done. Like that's just what I wanted to do. So the fact that the community has been so amazing and has like just stuck by me and um, cheered me on and related to me and validated my feelings, um, even though they're saying I'm validating theirs. It's been huge, um, huge, huge, huge. Now, I know some people don't want to share and they aren't can't share and they're not up to sharing and that's 100% fine. But even just like being out there and seeing what else is out there, I think is um, a huge way to be able to to cope because you start to see how many people are out there feeling the same way that you do. And it makes it more normal. I even know people who do an anonymous account on Instagram to to be able to experience this part of their life, but not have everybody in their world know about it. Exactly. Yeah. Some people are just not okay sharing. And I mean, I was that way for a long time and that's totally fine. Um, Obviously, I also see a therapist. I still see her often. And she's helped a lot with my anxiety because, um, you know, also with COVID, it's been really hard because Nick hasn't been able to come to any appointments ever since that graduation day. So I literally walk into every OB appointment talking myself, preparing myself for the worst. You know, I just go in and say, okay, well, if she tells it to me and says that there's no heartbeat, then, you know, like I literally talk to myself in that way, which is crazy. Um, but you were just so used to that. So because Nick hasn't been able to come in my town, we do have a couple places that offer like private ultrasounds. Um, they're literally like $35 and they're not affiliated with a hospital, at least not the one I go to. And Nick's been able to come to those. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Super helpful. I'm so glad he can be there. I know because also for him, like we've waited so long to do all of this and we finally are pregnant and then he can't come, but it helps because I try to go before every big appointment that he can't be at just so that I see the baby. She's alive and like, I can walk into my OB appointment feeling a lot more secure. Um, and since he's not there, so that's been huge. I don't know how, you know, if, everywhere offers this kind of stuff. I've, I've talked about that before and some people have been able to find somewhere they, where they live, but that's been huge. I mean, I'm very thankful for that. And you're in San Diego. 
Yes. Yep. I'm in San Diego. I'm a little north San Diego. It's called Encinitas. It's just a little like beach town. Got it. Yeah. What what kinds of misconceptions are out there about pregnancy after infertility? I think just that you stop feeling like you're infertile. I think the idea that infertility is always going to be part of who I am, unfortunately, is not going to go away. Um, I think people assume that once you're pregnant, actually, my husband even said, he's like, I thought you were not going to have these feelings once you were pregnant. Um, A lot of a few other people have gotten pregnant in my world that, you know, have gotten pregnant naturally, no big deal. Um, And it's been hard. It's still and I wasn't expecting those feelings. I wasn't expecting to feel like, still jealous or, you know, and jealous isn't the right word but envious of the fact that they can just get pregnant when they want, even though I'm pregnant, I still feel that way. Um, and I wasn't prepared for those emotions. Um, and my, like I said, my husband was like, all right, why are you feeling this way? You're pregnant, (laughs) you know? Um, but I think that's a big conception too, is that people assume once you're pregnant, you're fine. Everything's fine again. And it's really not because a, you're petrified that something's going to go wrong. And I think part of that is you're petrified. And then you know that if something does go wrong, you kind of know what you have to go and endure and go through again in order to get pregnant again. It's not just I'll try next month if God forbid this fails. It's I have to do another retrieval. I have to pay another 30 grand. I have to, you know, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. What's something that makes your blood boil about infertility? Um, I think... It's just outside comments. Um, When people have approached me in the past few years and just said, why don't you just adopt? Or why don't you get a surrogate? Or why don't you you just say, why don't you eat cilantro? Like literally have had that. Oh my God, wait, wait, wait. Someone said that, yeah, someone said that their friend went to an acupuncturist and their acupuncturist suggested for them to eat cilantro and now she's pregnant. So... And you know what, though? I kid you not, I bought cilantro because that's just my personality. So I would smear cilantro all, all over, over my me. body. I know. I'm Mexican, so I love cilantro anyways. I can eat it in anything. But like I had did not have any fresh cilantro until that point. Um, and... I just couldn't like those comments, you know, and I just would smile and say, yeah, you know, like I'm just not at that point yet. And surrogacy is a beautiful option. And believe me, I asked about it several times because I just thought, why not? And my doctor was just like, no, you're not there yet. You know, let's keep trying. And adoption is also a beautiful option, but you both partners need to be on board. And, you know, it's, it's also a totally different mindset that you have to be in. And I think for us, we were just stuck on doing this and we were still in the middle of treatments. I think that's when it's the hardest is when people around you know you're doing these treatments and yet (laughs) they're saying like, well, maybe it's going to happen like when you least expect it. I'm like, well, that's the thing with infertility and with IVF. It's not when you least expect it because everything, you know, everything, you know, everything is planned and controlled. Exactly. As much as I'm out of control, everything's controlled. So if you're telling me it's going to happen when it's unexpected, that means this transfer is not going to work. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) I just couldn't deal with those comments. And I just, um, 
Yeah, they just irk me. They still do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to wrap things up, what suggestions, if any, do you have for people who are struggling with infertility and loss? I think the biggest thing is to let yourself feel. Um, You have to, as much as I'm not even good at this still, is be patient with your body. Um, I know it's so much easier said than done, but, and not just physically and not just like what you're going through in terms of IVF, but just mentally, I think is a huge thing because stressing over stress is just not It's a helpful. real thing. It's <laughs> yeah. a real thing. Yeah. Like every moment, oh my God, is this too stressful? Mm-hmm. Is that too stressful? Yep. It, it's a real thing. Yeah. So I think a big thing I learned with my therapist was like, look, it is the stressful process. There's no way when people tell you don't stress because it'll affect your infertility. That's a bunch of BS. Um, it's stressful. It's financially stressful. It's emotionally stressful. It's physically stressful. It's everything stressful. And that's just the name of the game. But if you worry about the fact that you're stressed, now you're adding another layer layer that's just not needed. You have to just remember that you are allowed to feel how you want to feel um, everybody's journey is different. I think a bigger thing too, is not to compare as much as I'm saying all of this stuff, my journey is unique to me and that's it. And I think that it provides a lot of support because people can relate, but I always make sure to tell everybody that, you know, take everything I say and then ask your doctor. Um, and I think that if you also try and remember that, your journey is your own journey. It will alleviate some of that stress, some of that comparison of like, oh my gosh, how did it work for her? Because, you know, I kept seeing so many people get pregnant and get pregnant naturally and through IVF and mine wasn't happening. And I was so confused and I tried to, to, you know, hang on to what Karen was saying or whatever, you know, and be like, oh, well, maybe I should try her Karen. You know, Karen just needs to be quiet. I know. <laughs> I don't know. I just, you know, Karen's in general probably need to be quiet right now. Um, but <laughs> that's a that's so beautiful. How can people um find you and follow your journey? Yeah, so my um on Instagram I'm at my beautiful blunder, blunder with a U. I know it sounds like blunder. Um and then I also have a blog and it's basically mybeautifulblender.com and I have a link in my bio on Instagram and that's 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 it fabulous thank you so much Erin this has been a pleasure talking to you so fun and um best of luck with um thank you the third trimester thank you yeah all right (laughs) ciao all right hun bye Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bums, and see you next week. 